Welcome to the Fit Aviators Club podcast, where aviation, fitness, and mindset meet to improve the balance of your health and quality of life in aviation. This is your host, Fernando Contreras, and let's get to it. We know how hard it is sometimes to get something healthy to eat in between flights real quick or while you have long sits at the airport waiting for your next flight. So we know that the availability of these foods sometimes is not the healthiest. So I got to share with you about Airfare Pouch. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crews and travelers, and they source more than 50 of these snacks from small businesses across North America. I've had the pleasure of partnering with Airfare for over five years, and I've tried almost all of their snacks, and they're absolutely delicious and unbelievably tasty. And the best part of all is that they have to fit this specific criteria of health to be able to be part of this pouch. This gives me peace of mind that I'm taking and eating something that's healthy and it's got me feeling great while I'm on the line or during my sits at the airport. So head over to airfarepouch.com and use Fit Aviators Club for a 50% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by Will Pucci. He is the aviation health coach, an awesome, awesome page on Instagram and website as well, helping crew members just like you and I, also with fitness and health on the road and back at home. Will, thank you so much for being here, man. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure to be yeah. here. Yeah. So you're uh, located right now somewhere in the West Coast and a little cold, aren't you? Uh, yes. I'm uh, based in Vancouver. Uh, so... Yeah, it's kind of around 5 to 10 degrees Celsius. You guys work in Fahrenheit, but uh, so I don't know what the equivalent is in Fahrenheit, but it's, yeah, it's not warm. It's not warm. It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. You know, when I was first learning how to fly, the conversion of Celsius Fahrenheit and just kind of learning to, because in aviation here, we everybody reads it as Celsius, right? But every outside of aviation, it's all Fahrenheit. Uh, I was just like, you know, when I first started hearing about Fahrenheit Celsius and I would do the conversion, I'll be like, wait, Oh, okay. I see what you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks a while, right? Yeah, Thanks yeah. Thanks a while. So uh, you are based in Vancouver, and what do you currently fly? So I currently fly, based out of Vancouver, the Q400. Okay, that's tur turboprop. Yeah. Yes, yes. nice. Turboprop. Love it. I think that's right. oh, that's it awesome. is right here. My, that's awesome. my <laughs> uncle flew this plane, um, so that's why I have it. It's, uh, it's, it's a really cool turboprop, actually. It's pretty neat. Wow, where yeah. did the uh, flight? Um, it was somewhere in Venezuela. I can't, you know, it was a long time ago. I can't really remember, but uh, yeah, really neat airplane, man. I wish I kind of got a chance to fly turboprops, uh, but I didn't, and I uh, wish I could have flown like the King Air or something similar to this. And man, it was, it's a cool experience to be able to do that. It is awesome aircraft, but it lands like a shopping cart. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, not, uh, so it's yeah, hard to land. It's a, it's tricky. Uh, yeah, hard, hard to land smoothly. Let's sure, put it that way. Sure, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so, what is it like to be based out of Vancouver, man? It's, uh, I mean, a lot of the time probably is just like during the winter. It's, do a lot of flights get canceled? Do uh, you guys have to go through certain procedures during the winter? Like I know in the airlines here we do, but do you guys have anything kind of special or specific? Being you know where it's a lot of drastic you know winter conditions. Uh, I would say in Vancouver, actually, winter conditions are less extreme than um, out east. Just I find that because the, the weather is a little bit more mild. But the one thing is, I guess, is the mountainous terrain, right? The West Coast is, is just uh, 
is known for that, just the, the high peaks and stuff like that. So the procedures coming in and everything, the um, emergency procedures and stuff, the, the backup routes have got to be uh, a bit more detailed than you would out east with flat terrain and all that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, I bet, man. Is there a, like special qualification airports around that area in, in Canada? There is a few. Um, and I guess, yeah, only certain aircraft we have can kind of get into some of these airports. So uh, some of the larger aircrafts, uh, we, we can't get in there. But there are a few airports that, that do have special procedures. Off the top of my head, I can't remember which ones they are, though. I mean, I've, the only place I've flown into Canada are Toronto and Montreal. And, dude, when I went in there for the first time, I was flying the 145. I was like my third week on the regional job. And, dude, I just get to Toronto and... It's winter time, and I see like these A three eighty seven forty seven just massive planes, dude. And I'm like, whoa! And my captain's just like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, this guy's enjoying. Like, we're you know, we got our taxi route and everything, so it's not like you know. I was just kind of looking out, dude. I was amazed. The next day when we're about to leave, you know, it's de-icing, anti-icing kind of stuff. And dude, I was just like, whoa. This airport has it like all streamlined together. You know, you you take a little taxi route, you go to this de-ice pad, you know, you're talking to these different frequencies. And then the, what impressed me the most is the de-ice pad itself, dude. It's got like perfectly, you know, aligned lines with traffic lights. And it's just like, I'm like, wow, you cannot mess this up, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. It was really cool. So with you, it's not uh, where you fly usually, right? It's not quite as uh, streamlined. So, well, it really depends. There's a lot of airports that have gotten uh, uh, th they're different. Some de ice at the gate, some de ice in pads. But it's um, mm -hmm. I had never seen anything like the traffic lights and the stop and this and that. So I was I was right. kind of impressed. I was like, wow. I mean, that you. I mean, up here, you probably got have to get your shit together with these de icing stuff, you know, to make it more streamlined. But uh, I, I just thought that that was. Uh, pretty impressive i was used to where i was based i was used to getting de-iced at the gate so there was no going over to the de-icing pad um and i think that's one of the cool things about aviation it's just like all the airports are so different and you just gotta kind of know what to do and read all these little papers and stuff to, to figure it out you know yeah that's funny i think most places i've been is uh being de-iced at the pad so that's that's interesting so did you learn how to fly in canada i did actually yeah so uh, back in the end of 2014, I did all my training. Uh, so I was based actually out of Pitt Meadows uh, for my initial training, the PPL, CPL, yeah. um, and the instructor rating. And so I started instructing out of uh, Pitt Meadows, which is kind of about 45 minutes away from uh, the International Airport in Vancouver. And uh, so I went through all that, built up some hours, and then uh, decided to do my multi-IFR at a different school close by. So I started, I did my multi-IFR. I know it's slightly different for you in the States, right? The CFI 1 and 2 for uh, the instructors, right? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, you could do that. And then you could do your multi-engine instructor, your MEI after, after mm, that if you want. Okay, cool. So slightly different acronyms over there, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I did my multi-IFR at the school and then went through it and had my instructor rating. So I got a few months later the instructor job on the duchess oh i um, love the duchess well. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah cool so i was like that was uh that was a great great first uh, multi-engine uh, instructing job did that for i think around six months or so uh, the time frames escaped me but uh then after that point i uh, built up enough hours to get a job on a uh a airline out in um kind of the middle of canada uh, where i was flying miners out of uh, saskatoon up to the northern kind of uh 
um, some of the places and the airports up there. Wow. So it was very cool job. Dude, that's yeah. that's amazing. I bet it's just like the scenery has to be extremely beautiful over there. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Like pretty much most of the year, the, the runways are snow covered. So wow. uh, it's crazy. We had a few occurrences where there's bears on the runway. <laughs> Um, even up to probably about 15, 10, 10 to 15 seconds before we land, um, having what? them in the center of the runway and, uh, having that obviously go, no go, uh, points with them as right. well. So being, you know, this was a hundred hours on that aircraft and having some experienced captains there really helped. Absolutely. So it was crazy. I mean, uh, damn. Now, well, if I ever fly around that area, I'll tell my captain to be like, Hey man, there may be some hibernating bears. Yeah in the middle we're gonna have to hold yeah. for a bit while they wake them up and move them out <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well that's interesting man that's really cool because it, yeah. you know i fly mostly now caribbean stuff and everything in south america and in miami area so you know i usually don't get exposed to a lot of that winter stuff anymore but uh, you know it's definitely got its challenges and it's it's very interesting to hear and listen to other perspective of flying in other areas of the world i think that's incredibly cool um to and for you to be sharing that with me too so that's that's awesome so so you also have a page called the aviation health coach and I, when i first came across this page i was like wow this is this is cool first the title is genuine it's it, it seems like it's coming from a good place this isn't a person that's just trying to uh say that they're fit they're actually trying to maybe help people and then you go on the page and i look at your reels and i look at yourself and i was like wow dude this guy is like on point talk about like behavioral coaching uh you know everything from physical fitness nutrition and everything and it's just for the educational standpoint for people to adopt a healthier lifestyle and I love that. So, so how did you get started with that? What made you want to start this page? So uh, the original reason I started this page and uh, the reason I wanted to is because having been a, a personal trainer since 2006, um, it was already part of my lifestyle before I went into aviation. So when I transitioned to aviation, I automatically tried to myself uh, kind of incorporate the health and fitness aspect alongside the aviation uh, aviation job as being a pilot. So I knew and I felt the struggles getting in there myself as a new pilot. I was like, my back hurts all the time. I haven't prepared the right food. I'm struggling. My sleep is, is suffering. I I'm like, how do I find the motivation outside these long hours to train? So all these kind of things I struggled with myself. Um, and uh, I kind of wanted to work on over time, I developed my online coaching business to think like, why am I not catering to the struggles I had as a pilot myself and incorporate the two. So that, that's kind of the main reason because I could relate to people and pilots. I knew the struggles they were going through themselves. It's it's a huge struggle, man. I think that uh, everybody who dedicates their time, because as you and I both know, we have very similar mentality, very similar goals as to empowering people to have a healthier lifestyle. What, what a lot of people don't know. And this is something that we wouldn't, that we don't stress about, not that we don't stress about that, but that we don't put out there is the time that it takes to be able to create things for people so that they can have and adopt a better lifestyle or, or in, in terms of health and nutrition, right? Our off days are pretty much still working on this stuff. Our time that our downtime where we get to a layover, like 
you know, if it's, if it's not the nothing fun to do, we're working. We're like this, this is nonstop. And, and I just want to share not just with you, but with everybody that's listening now the, that, that I appreciate that in what you do, because I know exactly how much work it takes to be able to have a, a, a something to run it as a one person thing, because it's just you, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Right, yeah. So, so it's, it's just that much, much more work, but dude, isn't it like very rewarding when people are just satisfied with like their life changing, right? hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's one of the most rewarding parts of the job, right? Seeing things that you've helped someone and how they developed over time and how they are getting these little wins, how they're getting, feeling better, sleeping better, less stress. In my case, like performing better in their job. Um, it's yeah, it's one of the main reasons to get into it. Right. It's, uh, such a rewarding job. Uh, if uh, what I can relate it to is uh, instructing when when you would send your student for their first solo and things like that, you're just like, wow, like it's not that I created that. It's that like I taught that and that person was able to take everything and make it their own and there they go by themselves. And that's essentially kind of like what we try to do with clients, right? With people that we want to help. Yeah, that's that's such a good comparison, actually. Instructing, sending someone for the first solo. And like, you're almost sending them off by themselves to start with, right? Seeing how dipping their toes in the water, seeing how they do. Obviously the first solo, nothing goes perfect. They land right. safely, like obviously, right. but, <laughs> but they're never, the procedures are never hundred percent. So over, over time, it's like they get better and better at the skills that you've taught them, which is part of the coaching process, right? You give them basics, you build on it. You give them, you don't send them straight away on a cross country solo. You start them in the circuit. And then you build up the circuits and then you send cross country. So similar with the coaching, right? Like habits. Exactly. You said it right there. Habits, dude. But since we're talking about solos real quick, did you, <laughs> when you first soloed, did you have like any mess ups that you were like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> oh man. That first solo is so nervous. Yeah. Know, it's the, even just one thinking back one circuit, I was like, what, how am I so nervous for this? But you're just so used to having someone beside you, like holding your right. hand, right? Like, oh, that person's mm -hmm. there. Like no matter what happens, they're going to take over. So it's, uh, I don't think in my first one I did. Um, I think on the cross country, obviously you're, it's, it's a constant learning process when you go out for the first time by yourself, right? You have the procedures, you've, you've sat on the couch, you've gone through all the, everything that's going to happen, the altitude you want to be at the calls you're going to do, but you, there's always inevitably something happens like some traffic or a bird you haven't seen that you need to like change heading or whatever. So it's uh luckily nothing nothing like uh hilarious or dangerous <laughs> happened to me. how about you anything uh dude my first solo my first lap around the pattern i land and then i'm like oh like i felt you know i felt i felt great my instructor did such a great job more on the not just the flying aspect but on the mindset too like right before leading to the solo he was just like dude if you mess up i'm not here like i'm not gonna fix it for you like and that's very genuine, like good instructing. And, um, so I felt really comfortable doing it. So I was like, I was so hyped on my first pattern that, you know, I landed, I was like, Oh shit, that was a great landing for my first one by myself. <laughs> Dude, I put full power and I just like forget to retract the flaps. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Oh man. Dude. <laughs> you know, I was like, how the heck am I taking off so quickly? And then somehow my hand just kind of like, cause I flew the Piper warrior. So we had like a, the emergency brake flap, you know, dude. And I like hit that. I'm like, Oh shit, my flaps. And so the, do the first thing that came to my mind, 
what my instructor said, he was like, do not dump the flaps if you if when you're retracting them because you will lose lift really quick. I just maintained calm, took out one flap by flap by flap, nice and easy, and 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 did my whole other two. But I came back and I was like to my instructor, I was like, hey, dude, I totally forgot to retract the flaps. He's like, dude, I know. You took off in like three <laughs> seconds after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dude man. good times <laughs> such good times oh. but um oh, man. but yeah like you said solos are always it's always like a learning experience just like how it is with fitness you know people usually for a lot of us that are at our pilots for you know it's stepping out of your comfort zone because one you may not have done it a while or two you never probably got into it right like fitness and nutrition and all this stuff like it's been getting very popular I'd say within the past 10 years, like way more popular than what it has been since the 80s and the 90s, right? Um, Because of social media and everything. So some people don't have the education on the importance of health and fitness, right? Like I'm talking about like flying with captains that are 50 years old, 60 years old, even though I have flown with some that are in incredible shape. But that much knowledge wasn't back then. Do you find that that's what a lot of, you know, in the, in the industry you, you come across. So uh, do you mean in specifically like in terms of uh, people have more general knowledge? Yeah, like, like the older pilots from the different generations, you know, who got hired in that huge wave when they were young, probably maybe not have put so much like attention to health and fitness throughout their career. So now when they're like, you know, at this level, it's like, whoa, I never thought about that. Or like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I think that the older generation just didn't have as easy access to all this information we do. Right. It's uh, I've got I train a uh, one or two pilots that are older, but I think uh, they reached out to me in terms of training and stuff. So I think they really value the health and fitness aspect. But in general, I would say it's huge. Right. They just people are they weren't aware on how the the mind and body were kind of connected and how health affected their job, how it could improve their focus, their sleep, make work easier rather than harder. Right. Um, so definitely now we're, I think we're at the opposite end. We've got too much information at our fingertips, which can be confusing for a lot of people. So it's overwhelming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to filter through all the, uh, all the crap that's out there sometimes. So which is which yeah. is one of the things that distinguishes about you know a page like yours because you go on your page and you you know you obviously have by the way you talk I can tell you have some sort of certifications and that you've been doing this for a long time this isn't something that like hey I'm in incredible shape this is what I do which it, there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes there the way people perceive that might be a different than what the person is trying to put out right you you have certifications right you you've been a personal trainer since you said 2006 yeah Six. so yes i mean that's incredible yeah. where did you where did you get your certification from so i originally uh you asked if i'd done my flying in in canada so i had i did my flying but i did my uh personal training qualifications and everything alongside it in the uk so i started 2006 in cardiff wales uh, in the uk and uh did my nasm uh, stroke lifetime health and fitness personal training qualifications back then. Um, and I worked out of a gym uh, called uh, Dave's Gym in, in Cardiff. I worked there for about two years or so, um, just kind of as like a freelance 
type trainer work in the gym and stuff it was a it's more of a powerlifting and muay thai type gym uh so that's where i really got into the strength training aspect kettlebell certifications all that kind of stuff around that time frame uh so that gave, i think that felt like it gave me a really good grounding for um weightlifting in general um and and just kettlebells and stuff so I did that. And then as I developed over the year as a trainer, I thought, okay, I want to dive more into the nutritional aspect. So I did the kind of precision nutrition um, coaching, which I found really valuable back then and uh, came to Canada in 2014. So uh, Vancouver, uh, sorry, excuse me, 2011. And I did my um, bodybuilding show. So I did, I got my pro card in the natural section of, of bodybuilding. Uh, but ever since I did that, I kind of moved away from that mentality, more to the kind of sustainable and finding the middle ground rather than being kind of like all or nothing with things like. Um, so I've, I find over the years I've kind of developed, I moved more towards the behavioral sustainability mindset rather than go to the gym six days a week, run as hard as I can all the time. It's more about like, can I do this for the rest of my life, what I'm doing now? That's the kind of mindset of mindset I've shifted to over time. That's really good, man, because uh, it's definitely about sustainability and longevity. You know, just like you, just like how you mentioned, like, let me go sprint, let me hit the gym, like, let me do exercising for six days out of the week. I tr like I did that even for about three and a half years in the airlines. And um, dude, it was just, I found myself to be in a situation where I'm overtraining and you you know even though i meal prepped and everything it wasn't enough to like feed all my energy back uh my rest would be affected so yeah i was still into the health and fitness but i was i was on the other side of the spectrum dude i was on the overtraining side which is just as bad as if you don't train almost at all it could be actually be even worse because you could leave uh, i don't know it, but it's bad <laughs> you know i I definitely agree. I definitely, it's, I think you, you said it yourself, like you used to do it for years and years. You just do too much because you think more is better. Exactly. Where more is more. It's not necessarily yep. better. You can't, how can you recover from six days a week? You don't need, we don't need to be doing that. We're not pro exactly. athletes, right? So it's, and, but, but here's the yeah. thing. This is why the behavioral aspect, and you mentioned that you, 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 you're specif specifying more towards that is that, you know, I, for the longest time, I'd say for about, maybe since I was uh, 12 or 13 till about 24, my life was just baseball, day and night, working out, field practice, everything. Because I, And I mentioned this in other podcasts before, because I wanted to become a pro. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And 10 years of that doesn't just go away, right? There's like you have built – things into your subconscious, things that you, you know, you motivate. And I, and now still nowadays, even knowing and doing intervention, like coaching with my own realizations of my thoughts of why am I training this way? And it's still because deep down, you know, I look at a commercial and I see a professional athlete and I'm like, damn, I can perform just like that. And that makes me want to go harder, but it's like, yo, you need to, you're not that. You're your own person. You're not a professional athlete. Could you have been? Who knows? Maybe if different, but life, dude, happens in a certain way where just like, 
hey, this is your path now. Everything that you took from becoming almost becoming a pro, you're now putting it to help other people. That's your professionalism besides being a pilot, right? And when I had that mindset shift, that's when I was like, oh, I should probably go to the gym four times a week, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I definitely, it takes takes some things and some self, checking in with yourself and self-realization for you to realize like, actually like, what am I doing here? Like, why why am I going six days a week? Is, does the science say that's actually better for me? Am I doing doing myself justice here? Um, similar to you as well. Like, I think I was in that pattern because I did high level sports up until about 16, 17 as well. So I think I'd been in that pattern of just being used to it, doing stuff every day, almost every day. And it takes real reflection to be able to be like, actually, okay, over time, you just bring it down and realize that you're getting the same results. You feel better. You're recovering better, sleeping better, less stress. You got more time to do stuff you know, you enjoy flying, all that. Which also becomes part of your your identity of who you are as well, right? Like if you're dedicating so, so much time to this sport, like you eventually, your identity is that. And when you don't have time for other things, you don't know what else you're capable or great at doing, right? And I thought that that was one of the most uh, eye-opening things because what you said right now, uh, the, the phrase that stood out, the, one of the phrases that stood out the most is that, you still get almost the same results, if not even better, because it is a science. There is that sweet spot where you're not underdoing it or overdoing it and you're optimal, right? Yes. How was it for you to change that mindset from, because you said you, you were in the bodybuilding aspect and then you kind of changed towards more longevity. What happened? How did you change your course of, of thinking? I think that was, again, that's a that's a tough one to to realize how you shift from going to six to, to three or four days a week. I think having coaching myself at some point really helped. And because even though we're coaches, we mm -hmm. need coaches. Like there's nothing right. wrong with that. So checking in with someone else and saying, Hey, I think something here is not quite right. Can you check my programming? Can you see? And then having that from a coach and being like, Hey, you can do three or four days a week. All this the other stuff you're doing is kind of fluff work in the gym don't really need that that's giving you maybe percent like one or two percent results you can do three quarters or half of what you're doing and get 98 percent of the results so why don't we just do this it was just being like it was just a light bulb moment like ah okay and i get more recovery time i sleep better i'm overall less stressed i can yeah everything's just easier as a result of that so it was just a shift over time but i think now this was back in again, maybe eight years ago plus. So there wasn't as much information around this um, or it wasn't as available, but now it's just like, okay, like you have access to this kind of stuff and these great programs online and everything. So way easier to find uh, this information. Absolutely, way, way easier. And, and, and a lot of people are also becoming uh, certified in this kind of stuff. Like I, I was able to get certification from Tony Robbins as a strategic intervention coach. And man, when I, when I took that whole course, it took me an entire year and you have to put in like a certain amount of hours of listening to coaching, practicing coaching, and you have to take tests. Dude, it was probably the most eye-opening, self-realizing things that I have ever done in my life that completely changed the way that I think. Not 
it's not like, uh, hey, you're thinking this way, and by taking the course, you're now going to think that way. No, you you have to actually talk to, your, like, be with yourself and be like, okay, this is why I behave a certain way because X, Y, Z that are all external factors. It may not be something within me. And uh, when you take all those things, when you take the time to take those things into consideration, you will see how the results will be like, oh, you have a mental shift. And and I'm sure you see that with clients. The clients who don't put in the time to uh, for the things that the coaches say, they probably won't see those things as quickly, right? And and it happens. Everybody has the great, awesome clients that listen to everything that you say and they give you feedback and you learn from both. But then you have those clients that are like, the, like bro, why aren't you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and yeah. it's just, if you could just, I don't know, somehow show, demonstrate to them the the feeling or the, the mental shift that, you know, if they take a little bit of time to just be like, it's okay to just think about how things affect you, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's definitely a game changer. And I want to say like, yeah, Tony Robbins, love that guy. He's a legend, right? Legend. Um, so yeah, some great stuff he's got. And uh I I really relate to yeah the fact that I guess number one rule of coaching is you got to be ready for coaching right you can't you can't force a, uh, a square peg into a round <laughs> hole so to say so it's like <laughs> yeah so some some people you get on board that I think they they almost want they don't realize that like you're not there to do the work for them you're there to guide them through the process you can't make them do the work if they don't want to do it themselves so um, that that's a big one that's I find that's one of the questions I have before I start coaching with people is like, are you ready, ready to be coached? Are you willing to be coached and take new things on board? Because change is hard, right? I think you get into certain habits, you get stuck in, we all do it. We have habits that we're trying to break like myself. I love, I know, you know, sometimes too much sugar isn't the best for me, but I love certain bits. I don't say to myself, I can't have any, I moderate the amount I have in there. So there's, you know, it's certain aspects that, um, we just, we just can't force those clients. We just have to work with them where they're at, you know? And it also kind of like it, it, you know, sometimes we as coaches get so into, uh, damn, why can't they just see it? Like, like how important it is, but then you reflect back a little bit yourself and you're like, well, did I pay attention or listen to it the first time? <laughs> to <it>? yeah. <laughs> how long did it take me to fall into that? Oh, okay. This is how it's this is how this mind shifts, uh, mindset shift works, or this is how this kind of training works. Like it, you're right. You people, we are all very resistant to change. The majority of us are. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And one of the key things that I have learned a lot with coaching is patience. Dude, I was like, wow, I really need to. And I got challenged as a coach because what I was communicating with this client it wasn't, you know, it wasn't reciprocating right back. And instead of being like, no, you know, this is the way you have to do it. Nobody's ever going to learn like that. Nobody's ever going to stick to something like that. You really have to be like, okay, how am I teaching this person? How do they learn? What, how can I, you know, it's just like flight instructing. You take the same principles of, of learning and you apply it to be, to, to physical training, nutrition, behavioral coaching, and dude, the the challenge that I took on myself, the result of seeing that person finally understand was awesome. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome as well. It's like resonating to what you said, um, kind of 
also sometimes taking it on board as feedback about your systems that you have in place. Like if something's not, client's not checking in, maybe it's not the client's issue. Maybe it's the problem with the systems you've got going on that's not making it clear to them that they should be, this is really important or part of the process. So it's almost, you know, sometimes not seeing it as a client's problem, but seeing it as your problem with the way you've got your system set out and the way it's the clarity of it. I find that to be very useful for coaching people as well, yeah. you know? Um, and we can't, sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves back in our shoes, like from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when we were first starting to train, cause it's so long ago. So it's almost trying to get your mindset around and just, as I said, having patience with them, being like, I went through this, this is normal, even though we can't remember it too well ourselves. Does that make sense? Right. And I think for everybody who's listening to that, listening to coach's perspective and stuff, you know, if, you, if, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you have a coach and you're kind of not being able to get that, you know, uh, I guess, compatibility with your coach, you know, always a good communication of feedback is always great. Also, it really depends on how you approach it. But if you give your coach a little bit of feedback and you really kind of little open up to them a little bit about, you know, hey, maybe this isn't clicking this way or like, how would you you may find yourself that you have a way more stronger compatibility than you thought if you didn't communicate at all, right? 100%. Communication is the top, like, of everything, right? Like, that's number one for, like, keeping open communication, no judgment either side from, from either party. Is That's a big one. It's like, I find, you know, clients coming on board maybe feel like you're going to judge them for not sticking to certain things or certain, you know, habits, getting their steps in daily. Whereas it's not, it's usually maybe the bar has been set too high or there's things we can troubleshoot together and work on improving um, with the 1%, right? Rather than going from, say, 2,000 steps a day, maybe we go up to two and a half rather than jump straight to 10,000. Yeah, I agree. And that's all part of that behavioral stuff, right? It's, it's, it's all tying in between body and mind. And, and I love the way you just said that because it's all about gradual gradual increase if somebody's not ready to take on that full load. Um, so I want to switch gears here a little bit and go back to aviation and fitness. What what was the most challenging thing for you in terms of, let's start off first with physical training, you being in the airlines and shifting from the lifestyle you had before it till now being in it? The biggest shift I think was fitting physical fitness into my lifestyle when I was dealing with weird working hours. I was always kind of a little bit more fatigued than usual. Um, I think I think those were kind of the main two in terms of physical fitness was finding time for it and dealing with the fatigue of flying around it. Um, and I found for myself the best ways of getting around that was, again, having some degree of flexibility with my training, not being set to a rigid time frame of okay i need to do as i was saying before like i need to do five days a week one hour sessions it would be again over time building the knowledge of what i could do with shorter sessions and bringing my training down to like maybe three days a week being able to fit in easily rather than stressing about getting five or six days a week of one hour sessions so that's the way i kind of got around it myself is the flexibility and increasing the knowledge of what I could do around those days without sacrificing kind of results and stuff like that. I like that. That's really, that's really good. What about with nutrition? What was the biggest change for you there? I think 
the huge challenges were availability of foods that I wanted to or I felt were beneficial for myself. So this would be, again, through things like meal prep, not having access to the, the lean proteins, the vegetables, the fresh fruits, all this kind of stuff. That was that was a big nutritional challenge for myself. Um, I, I, yeah, I would say that that was probably the, the big one. How about yourself? What do you find nutritionally is, is the biggest challenge? I think uh, the amount of calories that I'm able to take. For me, uh, you, you know, a lot of the times and a lot of the things that I get is about people wanting to lose weight or, you know, all this stuff, but and I'm on the different, I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I'm in the, I'm in the place where it's harder for me to maintain muscle mass, you know, it, it, because of my metabolism is just so fast. And I think the struggles there, they may not be the same as somebody who's overweight trying to go underweight, but there's still struggle from somebody who's metabolizing too quickly to keep body muscle mass, right? Uh, different kind of mindset, different kind of stuff, but there's still struggles. And uh, for me, it's not being able to consume enough calories. So the way that I think is like, okay, well, I'm going to take what I know is healthy from my meal prep and that's all I'm going to eat. Because I know if I go eat out, oh, that has preservatives and it's probably going to be fast food because the availability is not that great and everything. So my mindset was just like, eat just what you have. But just focusing on that took me away from the perspective of like, hey, you're still training this much, dude. Like you need to get back on your calories. If not, you're going to lead to less rest, more fatigue, uh, you know, overtraining, and you're just not going to feel optimal. When I understood that, and it was thankfully because of my girlfriend, Jess, she was like, hey, I just don't think you're consuming enough calories, man. And um, I was like, shit, you're right. That's, that's, that, that's it. And just like how you said before, this ties back to, she, she's also a personal trainer. She went to school for kinesiology. It takes somebody who's a professional in that stuff too, to give you feedback to you, because you may be, you may be like, you know, maybe tunnel vision on one thing and they might be like giving you a different perspective where that's probably going to work best for you. And, you know, listening to that stuff from other people and their feedback is, is could open up doors for you. And, and, and it has worked ever since. So what I do is like now I, I'm okay with just going out to eat, you know, maybe one meal a day that I don't prep for because I need the extra calories. Like I, I just need it. And so that to me was the biggest, like, okay, well, if I'm going to have to buy something, now I'm going to have to choose where to go. I'm going to have to make sure it's healthy. Like, that's more work for me, dude. I don't want to do extra work while I'm flying. <laughs> you know? yeah. I want my meal prep. Boom. Yeah. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> done. No extra stress. Of right, anywhere. dude. I, that, that's, that's so funny you should say because my girlfriend also told me that she didn't think I was eating enough the other day. I'm, I think we're very similar in that way. I kind of require around 3,000 a day to kind of maintain my weight. So I, I definitely have that struggle to eat enough. Um, but having, as you said, alongside the meal prep, if you are having to eat out, eat out alongside your flights, then just knowing kind of what to go to some, again, some pilots or flight attendants or aviation professionals don't kind of know what to go to with the meals. They kind of think they do. But then I, again, it's that mentality around when you go out, having the guilt, getting rid of the guilt. If you do have to choose something that's not ideal, like that mentality of all or nothing, like, right. If I have the burger, I'm going to have the fries and I'm just going to eat everything with it. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions people have about health and fitness, right? 
Um, what what do you suggest to anyone who approaches to you? Hey, I want to get fit, but I don't really think I have the time because I can't dedicate four or five times out of the week to working out. Let's say somebody says that to you. How would you answer to that? Okay, so time, I think that is a very common misconception that people don't have enough time. I think people think they need more time for health to get fit than they actually do. So by changing your mindset around time, how much you need to become fit and to be healthy, that automatically gets rid of that excuse. You can do two to five minutes a day. Everyone has two to five minutes a day to do some, some body weight squats, a few push-ups, quick w- walk around the block, um, you know, a quick bit of meal prep, just even putting some oats in a shaker with some protein powder, take it in the plane with you. That's a good kind of like quick meal prep for a flight if you're in a rush. Uh, by just changing your mindset around how much time you actually need for this stuff, that gets rid of that excuse altogether, right? I like that. That's a that's a great answer. I I couldn't agree more, man. It's just sh- changing your 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 perspective on that time. So now I want to throw a little bit of a curveball here. So let's say somebody who has because I get this question a lot. Somebody who has done just what you said. I'll do about maybe a walk around the block and and you know I do this on all my overnights, but I just don't see any more changes. You know, what would you tell them that it's like? Okay, so now what? Okay, so I guess it depends on the changes they're after, right? Are they after gaining some muscle? Are they after fat loss? It's At the end of the day, it's all about kind of energy balance to a degree, but it's not quite that simple. So depends where the client is at. Say, for example, they're after fat loss and um, they we have a good grasp on what they're eating daily. We know kind of roughly tracking. If, we've, if you're food tracking, it's never 100% accurate, but you have a kind of rough grasp on it. Um, making again, like we we're talking about before that small changes to where you're at incrementally will make a difference. If it's not making a difference there's somewhere else we've got to dig into that could be the issue potentially. So again, the, the big thing would be, okay, your average steps per week was 2000. Let's try bumping that up a little bit, maybe 2,500. That's going to already help the weight loss to a degree, even though well, that's another topic I don't want to get into exercise and to burn <laughs> right, calories, right. but, um, um, or the calories they're having, maybe, Hey, dig it in. Like if we're food tracking with them. I don't food track with every client, but if we're food tracking with this specific client being like, okay, Hey, you're having on average 2,500 calories a day. It says here, but I see you inputted your burger as 300 calories. You think that's accurate? So the little things working on the food tracking accuracy, as they're inputting stuff can make a huge difference. So we, none of us defy the law of science, the laws of thermodynamics. So there's something going on there, right? There's something that that's why this coaching process is so good. We can dig into these aspects with them. We can find what, what the issue is. And everybody's so different, right? Just like how you said, depends on the adaptation. Uh, if I can add to that, that was a fantastic answer. If I can add to it, it nice. it's also when you mention adaptation, it's, you know, uh, if they walk around the block or let's say they walk 30 minutes every layover, at some point your body adapts to that and it, that becomes normal. You are that be, you built tolerance to that. You built, you know, cardiovascular endurance, you build muscular endurance to walk 30 minutes every day. So you're probably not going to see a mm-hmm. change because you are in a uh, plateau, right? Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a change of something. Okay, well, if you walk 30, 
30 minutes every layover. Let's say you have four day trips. Why don't you uh, do some sort of interval running two out of the four or one out of the four and see how that goes and try two. And, and right. So now the body starts going through different adaptations and the person might be like, well, I'm still mm. not. Well, try to add resistance training, see how your body adapts to that. And then, you know, obviously mm. as different trainings come along, like you said, that the nutrition has to kind of adapt to that. Right. Cause let's say somebody starts mm. like going really, really hard and their nutrition stays. And then they get to a point where it's like, okay, they're overtraining now because their nutrition's not gradually keeping up, right? Yeah, 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 100%. It's, it's so based on an individual that it's, that's, I think you and I share the same passion. It's, this is why we do this because it's, we love getting to know somebody scientifically, I don't know, in the body, just yeah. how they metabolize, how they work. It, it's it's really cool. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm really glad that other people in aviation share the same passion like you. Yeah, definitely. And that's why they call it the art of coaching, right? Because it's an art, to a degree an art form. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's digging in and finding specific people's issues they're dealing with and how to coach them one-on-one, not some blanket program that you send out that just has the same generic program for everyone. That's why they don't, they don't work. They might work initially. It's better than nothing, but yeah, this is why the one-on-one stuff's way more valuable. I agree, man. And um, so this is a big topic that I think was uh, mentioned a lot, maybe like last the last two years, but maybe not so much because it's been a couple of years since this happened. But COVID, dude, uh, how was your how was your you know your me- mental health and your physical fitness and nutrition during COVID? Because you know the amount of differences between people is is so vast, right? But I, I'm curious to know about yours. How was it for you? So I think uh, what, what happened initially is obviously we all, I'm, I'm not sure about the States, but we got furloughed um, in Canada. I think it was 50 to 80% of the airlines, uh, the, the pilots and everything got furloughed in that initial first first wave of things. I don't know. How about the States? Was it about the same? Uh, damn, I can't remember that much. I, I know there were a lot of furloughs, but I don't know if it was like in the first wave. I know it was like, tiers of people just getting furloughed until like the last one where it's just like whoa so what what happened with me is i had i was doing that work in uh central canada came back got a job with a major airline did all my training was going through you know the first few months of it um and covid hit i remember sitting in the aircraft in vancouver and then being like well this is going to be it for a while and i was like yeah right okay no way and uh yeah that was we got sent home i was living with family and i planned to because I was back new to Vancouver. I was new back here. So I'd planned to move out, but then I had to move back in with family for about six months. Um, so it was it was kind of a, for everyone, I'm sure, a little bit of a tough transition. Um, but about five years previous to that, I'd been through um, some kind of stressful period in my life where I discovered meditation. And this is why I love Tony Robbins, um, because his stuff I'd been focusing on prior to that, which had really helped me when I hit COVID, because when I hit COVID, I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't have control over this. There's certain things I have control over, which I can work on. I'd start to do some meditation, work on my, like reframing things in my head, right? Being great, trying to be grateful for what I had, which I think really helped uh, me get through that period of COVID and being laid off and stuff. Um, That alongside just having some sort of structure, having some sort of regularity to my day really helped. So things like the health and fitness saying to myself, I'm going to train, but I'm not going to overdo it. I'm going to try and eat nutritious foods, 
But if I want to give myself more leeway, be kinder to myself during this period, that's fine as well. Like give myself go outside for walks every day. Just again, alongside the mental aspect of meditation, just trying to have some regularity in there to keep things going and working on things I could control rather than that were outside of my control. Damn. That's awesome. The art of reframing is one of the most powerful things that a human can can do with with their mind. I agree. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. dude. It's, uh, you know, reframing things into things that uh, could be seen as negative to then a positive could seriously just alter your state of being, whether physiologically, mentally, emotionally. And uh, that's what it takes, man. One change in one of those three aspects for you to perceive thoughts or give meaning to thoughts a little bit differently. You know, sometimes when we're stuck in that, you know, constant repetitive, giving certain meanings to certain thoughts, which eventually lead to emotions, eventually lead to behaviors. You know, if you don't break that, the, you're going to continue to keep thinking the same way. And one of those great ways to break it is the art of reframing. It's it's so good. I know exactly what you're talking about because I, that was part of the course too. And mm. man, absolutely, absolutely wonderful stuff that that he does. I actually, the way I got into Tony is because I used to work for his personal trainer, Billy Beck. And, uh, but this was before I worked with him before he was with Tony. I literally was doing my commercial license and I needed a part-time job. And, uh, you know, I was working out at Billy Beck's gym and, you know, I was like, Hey Billy, are you looking for anybody to like, you know, just kind of work at your gym? Cause I, I need money for my license. <laughs> He's like, you're hired. Let's go. <laughs> and I built such a great rapport with him and got to just got to know him. I will go to Billy seminars, dude. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this isn't, this is, this gets me like, go lift a thousand pounds right now, <laughs> you know, but it, not just in the moment, but life changing things. And I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. And then he told me about like, Hey, uh, you know, this is guy, Tony Robbins. He, you know, teaches a lot of this stuff and everything. And so then I started getting to him. Like this was back in shoot, 2016, 2016. And, um, man, I love, I fell in love with Tony's work. And and I'm so glad Billy introduced me to that because it's it's life changing, man. I'm glad you like him too, dude, because it's awesome. I've always wanted to do some of his courses, but I've never quite got around to it. But just yeah, some of the stuff, even there's some clips on YouTube and just his motivational stuff is yeah, as it says, it gets you super pumped, right? And makes you feel invincible. So love it. Love it. That's actually the course that I did, it was actually during COVID. Um, that's one of those things that I was like, man, there's there's no flying, there's a lot of downtime. You know, uh, Jess and I had just met that January and by March we both had COVID and we had to quarantine in my apartment for six weeks and it's six weeks because we continued to test positive. Oh. We didn't know like the false positive, <laughs> the positive, positive, the false, false, the whatever the fuck there is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we were just like, well, shit, I don't want to go out. And if we're still positive, I don't want to go out there and, you know, infect people and stuff. But uh, six weeks, dude, I think I was in the most uh, shredded physique of my life. <laughs> It was insane. The nutrition, everything was like, of course, homemade. And that's how we cooked every day. Our workouts were like very plyometric -y with resistance bands. And dude, I looked at my Garmin and I was like, dude, 750 calories in an hour. <laughs> 
my cousin was living with us, he was like, yo, you guys are nuts. <laughs> we would we would put on the TV this uh, this uh, festival in uh, Tomorrowland. I think it's in Brussels or Belgium or something like that. And the sets of the DJs playing is an hour. So we're like, all right, Jess, you and I are going to start. Boom. We And we would feed off each other the workouts. And then, dude, by next thing you know, like a whole hour went by, the set of the music is finishing. We're done with our workout. And that was every day. But then it got to a point where we're like, okay, we're in these we're in these four walls. Like we need we need external, we need outside things, you know, because that was uh, being stuck in there for a while. We try to make the best of it, but as time goes on, man, you need more. Your body needs your 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 nervous system needs differences, you know. Oh yeah, hundred percent, right? We're social beings, and I know you had your girlfriend, but being stuck in the same walls for that long is yeah. I only had two weeks of that. Um, I never officially had COVID up until last week or the week before. But I think when I was doing my training in Vancouver, uh, not Vancouver, in Toronto in uh, the end of 2019, I was in bed for like 10 days, sweating every night. I had to cancel my training that I was doing because I was just, I don't know what this is. I went to the doctor. She was like, oh, we're not testing for anything, but here's some Tammy flu. And I was like, this is not flu. So it was kind of, yeah, crazy, but wow. I'm lucky. I only had two weeks, um, after coming back from Spain to see my family, uh, that I had to quarantine and that was bad enough. So I can't imagine six weeks. It was crazy. It was crazy, but you know, all learning experiences in that. And, and, you know, everybody had a different experience during that. And, and, you know, it, it all comes down to your perspective on things, the way you give meaning to things. And, and it's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier said than done. But that time was uh, was challenging for, for, for a lot of people. And But I'm glad you were able to have the mindset that you did to get through that stuff. And it's it's rewarding when you when you learn so much about yourself in a based on an external factor that's not in your control. And I think that's the best thing that you could do is learn about yourself because you have no control. You know, some people pull through it. Some people don't. Some people, it takes a lot longer, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, obviously if I hadn't been through that period where I had to learn those skills myself during COVID, it might've been, you know, I might've gone through that period then and had to teach myself these skills of reframing and, and cause it's life, right? Everything, not everything's in our control. So taking that mindset forward for everything in life is so valuable. I agree, man. Very well said. Very well said. So, uh, Will, I want to know, and I also want you to, to share with, with the audience is, uh, you know, you, you, the aviation health coach, you provide personal training, you provide workshops. Where can we find your info at? How can we get involved with you and your page? Sure. So I'm on, um, uh, Instagram and Facebook is the aviation health coach. Um, also LinkedIn is the aviation health coach. And, uh, you can also go to my website, www.aviationhealthcoach.com. Um, I provide online coaching and as we're discussing today, it's, it's more the habit based route. It um, incorporates customized kind of, uh, resistance training programs with flexible nutritional coaching, set people up into my email, um, list where they get access to all these documents, like in terms of meal prep for pilots, um, training on the go supplements I recommend for people taking with them to um, bridge the gaps they're missing in the nutrition um, and like dozens of other, of other stuff that I've created in there as well. Um, so 
the varying kind of call. Um, I either do biweekly calls or monthly, but between it, I do personalized Loom videos where I check in with the clients, how they're doing weekly, uh, send them feedback based on that as well. So uh, there's a lot of value in different uh, um, features of the program, but uh, yeah, you can mostly find me on Instagram. Dude, that's awesome, man. I am very glad that you're also doing this too and to provide this kind of service and this kind of coaching to to a lot more people. Um, it's it's a very rewarding thing like we talked about and keep it up, man. Keep it up because it's the aviation industry needs people more like you and I to be able to provide things like this for others and 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 just for everybody to know that you know this stuff comes from just highly valuing contributing to something that's greater than us you know we may be in shape we may do like we may know all these things but we're also continuously learning but we want to pass these on to people who truly want to change their lives truly want to make a better healthier choice for their lifestyle especially on this in this industry so Thank you for uh, for everything that you do, man. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Well, Will, thank you for sharing everything today. You're an awesome human being. Continue doing what you do. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Fernando. Cheers, man.